You are listening to the Informal Investigation Podcast. This is the podcast where we investigate, experience, and share interesting finds. My name is Asher, and let's begin. Formal Investigation Podcast is for entertainment purposes only. We are not responsible if you mess up. You should always do your own homework. If you try anything mentioned on this podcast, you are doing so at your own risk. The views presented on this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent any affiliated or unaffiliated organizations. Today, we are opening an informal investigation into gold. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast uh, listening app of choice to be notified about all of our latest episodes. Also, links to resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at informalinvestigation.com. At the time this podcast is being recorded, it is 2020 and the vid is upon us. That is the COVID-19 pandemic. Gold prices have soared to around $2,000 an ounce. This should not be a surprise. It is during times of crisis that gold prices rise. People still turn to gold when uncertain about their nation's currency. In my mind, the price of gold going up is a harbinger of badness. Gold is element number 79, labeled AU, group 11, period 6 on the periodic table. Aside from being shiny and having some industrial uses, gold gets its value from being currency. In order to understand how the element with the atomic number 79 gained its relative significance, we need to first understand currency. The journey started when I picked up the book The Bitcoin Standard by Safadin Amos. Apologies for butchering his name. At the time, I was interested in Bitcoin, but that's going to be a discussion for a different time. He starts his book explaining primitive monies and monetary metals. The first couple chapters completely change the way I look at money. The purpose of money is to move economic value over time and space. To move economic value over time and space. The most primitive way this is done is with barter or direct exchange of goods. You want a loaf of bread and I want a dozen eggs, so let's trade. Easy, right? This works great, but only on a small scale. However, in a a large economy, people start to specialize. They become more efficient at making specific products. Because of the specialization, many more products come to market. This is good, but also creates some obvious trade problems. They can be broken down into four categories. The first category is coincidence of wants. I want what you got, but you don't want what I got. You want a case of my pumpkin beer for your party tonight. However, you make cars, and I already have one. What do we do now? How do you pay me for the beer so your party isn't a total bust? The second thing is coincidence of scales. What this means is, let's say I do want that car you make and you want that case of beer that I make. Are you going to trade me one one thousandth of a car for my case of beer? Or do I need to give you a thousand cases of beer for a car? Not very practical. The third is coincidence of time. Let's say we agreed on a thousand cases of beer for one car. However, 
I need the car now, and your rager isn't scheduled till next year. The fourth category is coincidence of location. How are we supposed to exchange your car for my 1,000 cases of beer if you make your cars in China? If you're curious uh, about all these pumpkin beer references, make sure to listen to our previous episode where we investigate pumpkin beer. The solution to the above issues is that is to have a medium of exchange, a middleman, so to say, an item that can hold value that you can give me for the, for the case of beer that I can use whenever I want to acquire whatever I want. This is what we know as money now. So what qualifications does this money need to have? So there are three basic things. It needs to be conveniently divided into smaller portions, easy to transport, and holds on to its value over time, meaning restraint on production or what we know as inflation. There have been all sorts of currency over the years. Gold, silver, copper, stone, seashells, cattle, cigarettes if you're in prison, and of course paper. Of the three requirements listed above, many things can meet the first two. Um, conveniently divided, even stones, you can have smaller stones and big stones. The second part is ease of transport. This is anything that's relatively small in size and weight. The issue is the third, holds its value over time. Holds its value over time. If we are not confident that our money will hold value, no one in their right mind will use it for trade. I'm not going to accept $30 for my case of beer if I think my $30 is going to only be worth $20 next month. Amos explains the concept of stock-to-flow ratio of currency. Hang with me for this concept because it is crucial for the rest of our discussion. A good currency has a high stock-to-flow ratio. What this means is people hold on to a large amount of it to store value, that's the stock, but it's difficult to increase the flow or the amount of currency available at any given time. Let's give an example. If you use seashells for currency and seashells are very hard and time-consuming to find, you have a high stock-to-flow ratio. The stock being all the seashells found over the past hundred or X number of years, and the flow being the one or two that can be found by the seashell mining company on a daily basis. Now, what happens if Greenbeard, the currency pirate, comes to land in your city with a ship full of shells that he got from a land far, far away where shells are plentiful? This would flood and devaluate the currency and shortly after destroy the entire economy. Huge, huge problem one that we know as inflation. In order for money to hold its value for the duration that you own it, there needs to be a restriction on drastic increases in its supply. When the market is flooded, history bears witness, economies get crushed. This is where gold enters the picture. Simply, gold has held its value over time. Gold is super stable chemically and nearly impossible to destroy. Also, it cannot be man-made and is extremely difficult and costly to mine for. Humanity has been accumulating gold for a long time now, making the stock very, very high. Since gold is difficult to mine for, the flow has consistently remained low. Gold, therefore, has what we talked about before, a high stock-to-flow ratio, and this is why it has succeeded so well as a currency. Because of this, the gold standard was adopted, which allowed unprecedented unity, trade, and prosperity across the world. Uh, this was seen in the United States of America in what was later known as the Gilded Age. 
This soon led uh, to gold being centralized in banks and government money was issued that was backed by gold, um, i.e. for every dollar you can get X amount of gold. The gold standard fell apart when governments started printing more money than they had gold. For the United States and a lot of the world, uh, the effect of this was appreciated in 1914 with the outbreak of World War I. History is littered with crises, just like World War I, that therefore lead to government printing more money to try to solve the problem, which leads to inflation, which leads to economic collapse, and ultimately to people starving. We are not the first society in history to deal with a pandemic, political conflict, and social unrest. No amount of technology or social media will change basic human behavior. We must look to history and learn from the failures of our ancestors. Let's get back to today, though. As people lose confidence in their governments and their respective currencies, they fall back to gold, which therefore increases the demand for gold, which leads to an increase in the price of gold, which subsequently led to me spending $2,000 on one little teeny piece of gold, which ultimately led to me telling you about this on my podcast. Before buying gold, I realized I needed an insider's view into the market so I don't get completely ripped off. We all have seen those seemingly shady neon lights on the street corner store, we buy and sell gold. I would not step foot in one of those places unless I had a clear plan. This led to me Googling, YouTubing, and finally I bought a book called Stack Silver, Get Gold by Hunter Riley. It's a quick 132 page soft cover um, that tells you everything you need to know with absolutely no BS or fluff. I learned a lot from this book and recommend reading, and rec I recommend you guys reading it if you're interested in investing in gold. So the first question we're going to answer is, how does gold pricing work? So spot price. Spot price is the price that gold is currently being traded for in the market. This is how much people who buy huge quantities of gold pay for it. This is the price you will see quoted online. Riley's favorite resource is metalsmine.com. Um, it's a good site uh, that compares the current prices of all sorts of currencies. Premium. This is the price that the investor, meaning you, pays over the spot price for gold. This includes the price for minting, marketing, distributing, and of course, a dealer fee. As a general rule, smaller bars will have higher premiums than larger bars, and coins will have higher premiums than bars. And that leads us into our next question. What forms do gold come in for the consumer? Coins, rounds, bars, and jewelry. Coins. Coins are made by a government mint and normally contain an ounce or so of gold. Examples include the American Gold Eagle, the Canadian Maple Leaf, Chinese Panda, and many others. Advantages are they are very difficult to fake, easy to authenticate, and therefore sell. The disadvantage is they have high premiums. Rounds. Rounds are coins that are not made by a government mint. They are therefore easier to fake and harder to authenticate. Therefore, they normally have lower premiums than coins. An example of this would be the coins from John Wick made by the high table. Bars. Bars are what we see in the movies. They do come in all sizes, uh, similar to rounds. They are harder to authenticate, but have lower premiums. The next thing we're going to address is what is the story with purity? We have all heard of carats. So 24 carat is the highest it goes and is almost pure gold. 
Don't let someone sell you 26 karat gold because it doesn't exist. Another unit you may hear is fine. That's F-I-N-E. 24 karat gold is any gold that's greater than 0.999 fine. Fineness is the parts per thousand of pure gold. Examples you may see are 0.999 or 0.9999 fine, also referred to as three nines or four nine fine. Another important and confusing concept to understand is how gold is weighed. Gold is weighed in what's called troy ounces, which does not equal our typical ounce. A troy ounce is 31.1 grams, and a regular ounce is 28.35 grams. Don't be scammed by this. What about other forms of gold investments? There are products out there called gold futures and exchange-traded funds. I did not go for either of these. I wanted to buy physical metal. As I mentioned before, you know, gold goes up in price during times of crisis. It's backup currency. During a time of crisis, I don't want to be the guy that's stuck with a stack of useless certificates and virtual gold from a company that just went bankrupt. The next question is who to buy from. So you really need to do your research. So you need to find a trustworthy detail, do your research on this dealer, and there is no harm in going to the dealer and first doing a very small purchase before you do any, make any big purchases and just see how the process goes, feel the dealer out, and make sure they're honest. Next big question that comes up is where to store your gold. Um, there are three basic storage options. There's personal, there's bank, and there's private storage companies. They all have their advantages and disadvantages. Um, the place most people think of first is a bank vault. Nothing wrong with this option. However, there are some clear disadvantages that deserve mention. During times of crisis, governments have historically been known to make excuses to confiscate and control the wealth of its citizens. Also, if banks are closed, you can't get your gold. Private companies, whether domestic or international, can be an option as long as you do your research on their business practices and carefully read their contracts. Home storage is an option, uh, but depends on your home situation. Advantages are you have the maximum control of your gold. The big disadvantage is that you need to protect your gold, and this can put you and your family at risk for theft and also violence. At the very least, don't let anyone know that you have gold. After doing some research, I went back and forth weighing the pros and cons of investing in gold. In the end, I decided to try it. For a dealer, I went with one of the well-known online gold dealers. I decided to go with a one ounce bar to avoid an excessive premium tagged onto the coins. I made sure the bar came from a reputable mint. Mine was made by the Perth Mint, um, an Australian government-owned mint. After arranging for payment, a few days later I received a small, non-assuming package in the mail. Inside, I found my small one-ounce piece of gold that cost me $2,000 of hard-earned cash. To be honest, I did feel a little gypped. For $2,000, I was expecting to get a little treasure chest of gold. Was this a good investment? Only time will tell. This investigation has completely changed the way I look at money, currency, and gold. The notion that money is evil is completely false. It is the medium that, when supported appropriately, allows us to trade, specialize, do what we love, and create together as a society. 
Having a single medium of exchange with a high stock-to-flow ratio strengthens everyone and creates a truly prosperous society. Think about this very podcast episode. It required the microphone from the microphone company, a computer from the computer company, audio editing software from that company, a hosting company, podcast streaming app, the device you're listening on, Amos, who is a professor of economics, Riley, who is a precious metal financial advisor, the book editors, the printing companies, the bookstores I bought them from, and many more people all to make this podcast episode possible. A lot of specialists. None of this will be possible without currency. Imagine me trying to trade pumpkin beer with all of the above people for their services. I understand there's a little bit of circular logic here because I'm making a podcast about currency to begin with, but you get my point. With that, we are going to close this investigation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to be notified about our upcoming episodes. Also, check the links in our show notes for the resources discussed in this episode on informalinvestigation.com.